0: Well, Megan Smith, welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're so excited to have you on. We have been doing almost a series on breast cancer. And so I think talking with you and your documentary was such a natural extension of all of that. But before we dive into all of that, give us a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of your history, and then what led you to want to produce the documentary that we're going to talk about today
1: okay well uh, my history my my husband passed of uh lung cancer 12 years ago and that kind of catapulted me into <laughs> an area that i didn't know I was going to go into but um i didn't he he passed after two rounds of chemo and so i didn't like after six years of mulling that over i said you know there's got to be another way so i got i somebody sent me Ty Bollinger's series and I went, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I'd also, I'd also already been doing alternatives. I'd um, cured myself of chronic Lyme disease using alternative medicine after they told me I was was incurable. So I was already kind of plugged in. And so when I saw Ty's series, I went, that's it. And then I met a documentary filmmaker. I said, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. I was an investigative reporter already. I have a master's in science um, biology and I lobbied Congress for 12 years. So I had kind of this weird mix of background. So I graduated cinematographer and we went on the road around the world, uh, Europe, Mexico, all over the U.S. And captured like probably 200 hours of footage. And I started. I sat down in the editing booth and started to make the first film, which is now going to be the second film. It's called a New, oh. <laughs> a New Standard of Care, Colon, Alternative Cancer Therapies. Um, and halfway through that, I noticed that 10 minutes of my film was on breast cancer screening and the uh, horrors of mammography and what we could be doing instead. And I thought, you know, that's a big segment. Why don't I just stop what I'm doing and um, make a, a short on that and then get back to this big film? So I did that. I went around to the film festivals. I sent it off to Cinema Libra Studio just kind of I, because I knew of them and their reputation for taking on, you know, things that are not of the norm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, they, they said, yeah, this is great. We love this idea. Can you make it into a feature 60 to 90 minutes? I'm like, oh my gosh, sure. You know, (laughs) we're going to get this material. I was thinking under my breath and, um, I found more than enough material. My film's 95 minutes long. And then after I stopped, I got the film done. I'm, I'm even finding more information out. So, that I just, it just keeps going and going, and going. And so now I'm writing a book on it too. So it's gonna be kind of a reference for, um, it's gonna have all the medical literature in there, but also, for, so for, I hope doctors pick it up, you know, so they can find out what's going on because they'll have the citations right there. But also, easy reading, fun reading, if you can make this fun. I did the best I could um, for women. <laughs> for women, my film is kind of done in a, you know, kind of slapstick kind of tone too, just to keep it, you know, upbeat as much as possible. So anyway, um, that's where I am now. And so, um, and my film can, I'll just go ahead and plug it real quick. It's yeah. a boob, boobsdoc.com, B-O-O-B-S-D-O-C, as in documentary.com.
0: Perfect. Yeah, we'll make yeah. sure it's going to be linked in the show notes. I actually just watched it myself last night. Oh, great. In preparation for this. And it was wonderful. I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with the center, the Center for New Medicine and Dr. Keneally, but this Mm -hmm. is what we're doing and talking about all day long. And so anytime we find a new resource that we can refer patients to, it is so exciting and so phenomenal. So I'm so excited for our patients and then also the extended audience who listens to this to be able to have now your documentary as one more resource. Great. Perfect. I
1: hope it's all in one little capsule
0: here. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, and then the book, that's to come too. And it sounds like that the next documentary you're working on is going to be right up our alley as well. So we'll have to have a a return episode with you. But give us a little bit of an overview of the documentary for someone who's just like, okay, what is boobs about? Give us kind of the one liner. And then of course, we're going to start to dive into it a little bit more. Basically,
1: it's about boobs. It's about um, breast cancer screening. It looks at the primary screening tool um, for breast breast cancer, which is mammography. And then it looks at at alternatives such as ultrasound and thermography, which is what something we could be doing instead that's non-radiative and non-invasive. Basically, I first take for the first two thirds of the film, I take people through what mammography is doing to the breast. And all the horrors and talking to doctors and patients and all of these things, their experiences. And then I, then I, we start to look at thermography and ultrasound. And the bottom line is we should be studying this stuff. We, we studied thermography in the 70s but in the U.S., but they blew the study. They, um, they had the radiologist. They gave them the camera and said, okay, do a thermogram. The radiologist is like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so they threw out thermograms right away. And basically just declared it ever since they, people are like, well, those things don't work. They looked at it. I'm like, no, they didn't look at it. They didn't look at it at all. Mm -hmm. So we need to do another study. And we, I talked to the American Cancer Society during this um, filming. He and Dr. Otis Brawley, God love him. He was very forthright and said, you know, mammography is a suboptimal test. We need a better test. Those are his words. And so I, so I said, you know, what about thermography? We talked it through, I got um, a doctor to come and talk to him, Dr. Galena Magalka, there in LA. And um, he said, Oh, you know what? I think there might be something to this. You've convinced me that maybe this is worthy of studying. And I said, can I quote you on that? So that his quote is actually in my film at the end of the
0: film. (laughs) Well, I was so, I mean, I was so impressed that you were able to get him on and what he was saying. I was like, wait a second. This man is seriously influential. Look at what he is saying. Right. Can we make something happen out of this? Now who knows, right? The the healthcare industry like so many others is a slow to change industry, but you've gotten a ball rolling, which is so exciting. Well, and women
1: are really the one thing when I post this, I also have a blog. It's called Blog on Boobs dot com, and that's really starting to catch on. Um, Women, when I start posting about why do we have to get a mammogram before an ultrasound? Because a lot of women know they get called back, they get double radiation when they get the second mammogram. They're not allowed to get an ultrasound first, and they just have a fit. And that's one of the things women want changed immediately. So I see kind of that as being maybe a impetus to get something going on the hill. I I used to lobby Congress. I can do it again um and i've done some preliminary um briefings up there before covid hit um mm-hmm. but i'm happy to do it again i just need to get a coalition of women behind me and get us all on the same page but i think everybody's in agreement that they'd like to te- you know choose their screening test you know
0: mm-hmm. it, oh my goodness yeah grandma. there's so person. much There's so much I'm excited to dive into here, but can we start with, I don't want to give the whole documentary away, but can we start with, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I want to touch on what are some of the concerning factors that you sort of explored with mammography in your documentary. And one of the areas too, that I was particularly interested in is how did mammography become the standard of care when there's so much information kind of pointing against it? But let's start with what is concerning about okay. it <laughs> At okay. first.
1: Um, all right. Well, basically, and I think people already know this, the radiation. Um, but the thing about the radiation is it's a lot higher than they're letting on. They're telling us it's the same. They have the soundbite. Medicine's so good with their soundbites. Um, it's the same as flying across the U.S. That's how much radiation you get. That's scattered radiation. I found this out talking to a Columbia University radiation physicist he said, no, no, I don't know why they put it in terms of scattered. That's that's what's coming out of the, and just kind of scattering from the mammogram. You want to know what's going into your breast. That's a lot higher. I mean, to the point mm-hmm. where the International Atomic Energy Agency calls it high, relatively high radiation. They don't say low, they say high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's because we have dense breast tissue. A lot of us, 90% have some density and a lot of us have been told we have high, you know, dense breasts." And when that happens, I just want to drive this home because it's really important. I had no idea this was going on. They have your breasts in a grip, right? And what you don't know is they're looking at your breast behind the leaded shield. And they're, if they see a bunch of density, they're cranking up the radiation. They go over what the allowable is or whatever what the what the average standard average for industry is they crank it way up i mean way up like i was seeing sometimes seven times the amount it was crazy and i was like what how can they do that and not tell us what's going on right the concept of informed consent is just lost it does here. not exist in mammography so um that was one huge issue um so just know that the radiation is a lot higher it's also because We have these dense breasts. I mean, the big two issues to me are dense breasts and um, a thing called DCIS, which is um, over. I'll I'll explain that to you. But um, dense breast tissue is is made out of radiation sensitive tissue, fibroglandular tissue. Glandular tissue is by definition radiosensitive. So the higher density you have of breasts, the more of that glandular tissue, the higher they're cranking the radiation, that that tissue is radiosensitive. So mm-hmm. the literature, the cell physiologists are screaming, you know, this isn't a good idea to be radiating women with dense breast tissue, a lot of it in their breasts. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the people that taught, you know, the association sound biters are gone. We don't know why women with dense breast tissue are at higher risk for, you know, six times more, um, more likely to get breast cancer. And I'm like, are you are you reading what they're saying? It's because you're cranking <laughs> up the radiation on our dense breasts. So there's a real disconnect, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna start screaming that from the rooftops. Um, mm-hmm. And women need to know this because we're getting we're getting hoodwinked <laughs> when we're standing there vulnerable.
0: Right, and sort of the flip side of that is that not only is it harmful, just flat out harmful, but it's, especially with women with dense breast tissue, it's missing what, 50% plus yeah. uh, breast cancer. Right,
1: exactly. So <laughs> it makes no sense. I
0: think there was, um there was one doctor who was, I think you had her as kind of the, um the regular argument that most conventional doctors are making, but she was sort of saying like, well, the risk is worth it. And really what everyone else in the entire documentary was saying is, no, the risk is not worth it. That's
1: because she doesn't have all the information. She's getting these sound bites from her associations or wherever she's getting them from, the heads of the hospital. I don't know where they get this stuff, med schools. And that's why I'm hoping a lot of doctors will take the time to read this book. I think it's going to be an eye opener. We need to change this paradigm. It's gone on way too long um, they're looking at maybe molecular, but that that's more complicated. We already have ultrasound. Ultrasound by itself, especially for women with dense breasts, does it at least as well accuracy-wise as mammography. And then if you couple that with thermography which I can go into more later. That's a test of physiology. You, I mean, you're, you're up, you're, you're way up there probably in the percentiles, but again, they'll have to study it. But some of the tests overseas are shown well into the nineties, you know, 90 percentile and, and above for just thermography. So
0: mm-hmm. couple
1: them and you've got a, you got a perfect, you know, one, two punch.
0: So I'm curious, as you were going through this process of making this, were you finding any information that was helping you understand how did mammography become the standard of care to where now it's, you know, it's taboo to want to say, no, I don't want that.
1: So, um, you know, it came out of the 1950s. There's there these old white men who decided to <laughs> to, to it would be a good idea to smush women's breasts and radiate the crap out of them. And um, of course, it wasn't happening to them. So they, right. they <laughs> went forward with this amazing, lovely tool. And, um, you know, some people are going, hey, radiation, I don't know if that's a good idea every year, but they went forward and the radiation radiologists were excited and the associations and they got on board. And next thing you know, they're rolling these things out. And then they started to do these big studies in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And uh, it wasn't looking so good, especially for women with dense breasts. Any any breast that's under, you know, menopause is about, say, around age 50 people younger than 50, a lot of the literature was going, this isn't a good idea. The screening was saying, no, we're inducing as many cancers as we're finding. And, you know, this is, this is a bad idea. Um, but you know, the radiology associations got in there and, and, and at the time American Cancer Society was in bed with the radiology associations. I don't think they are so much now. I didn't get the feeling certainly from Otis Brawley. That was true. So, um, Mm -hmm. but so there was, there's was, there been a schism this whole time, but they just said, no, we're going to start screening at 40. And if you remember back in 2009, there was this big controversy and all of a sudden they said, uh, maybe we should start doing it every other year for certain age groups. Do you remember when the screening guide guidelines changed? Mm-hmm. Um, that was because of overdiagnosis of this thing called DCIS and also the radiation of that age group under 50 of dense breast tissue and radiating that tissue. So they were saying, maybe we should start at age 50, and they finally convinced some people. Um, The radiology association said, no, we're still going to recommend 40. And ACS, American Cancer, said, well, we're going to split the difference and say 45, but we are going to say every other year for certain age categories. And um, you know, so let me, if I can take a second to go back to DCIS. Um, it's this sure. thing called. It's the reason I want to talk about it is because it's it represents twenty to twenty five percent of breast cancers, which I had never even heard of it, and a lot of women have not. It's called ductal carcinoma in situ. In situ means in place, so it hasn't spread. It's classified as stage zero, and it starts in the ducts of the breast, and it's precancerous cells. Okay. So it's not even cancer, but somebody, some ding dong, put the world word carcinoma in the, in the terminology. And so women hear carcinoma and they think, Oh my God, I have cancer. No, you have a pre-cancer and, Mm -hmm. um, women are, you know, a lot of times they're urged to get mastectomy so that it doesn't become invasive. Um, and I have, I ran into a friend. That's how I found out about it. She had a double mastectomy because she had DCIS in one breast. Then she got it years later in the other one. And if I could hypothesize here and go out on a limb, and I think there's other people that agree with this in the literature, there's some speculation. We're compressing the breast, which is traumatizing it year after year. That's, that creates inflammation, but more importantly, we're radiating that radiation sensitive tissue, which is lines, the ducts of the breasts. So if we do that year after year, is it possible that it's becoming invasive because of the the mammogram? My guess is yes. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're doing, there's no common sense in breast cancer screening. It's just, it's like gone out the window. I mean, a lot of medicine is like that, but this is just crazy. The more I learn. So women need to be aware of this. And there's a lot of speculation now in the literature that they shouldn't be treating it they should do watch and wait like they do with men's testicular stage zero cancer they do watch and wait but for women they say well we got to take her breast off you know'
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, right right mm-hmm. right and yeah. there's there's a whole I'm sure patriarchal conversation we could get into there <laughs> <laughs> yeah we might save that for another day but um, there's so much here. Oh my gosh, there's so much here that we can dive into. But I think too, another topic that I really want to talk about is women feeling sort of guilt-tripped into doing a mammogram. If they decide I don't want to do this, there's a lot of fear-based tactics. There's a lot of shaming that's going on. Did you were you seeing that from people that you were interviewing? What is your recommendations for that?
1: Um, yeah, so there is a lot of, a lot of that. In fact, my, um, somebody in my family, I won't say who, um, (laughs) was called up during the pandemic and said, Hey, you haven't gotten your mammogram. You need to get your mammogram. What are you doing? A lot of women were getting called up during the pandemic because they were losing money on these new 3d mammograms that they just rolled out and all of a sudden the pandemic hit. So they were in a panic. So they're, they're pressuring women to do that. By the way, know that a lot of doctors are getting kickbacks I found, uh, I won't say the insurance company, but it's in my film, $100. If your doctor, some doctors write a script and the patient gets a mammogram, they get $100. I mean, think about how many female patients they have. That's a lot of money. So they have an impetus to say, you have to get a mammogram, mammogram you have to get it. It's the primary screening tool. You have to get it before the ultrasound. You you were going to ask me to think a question about that later, but yes, women are getting pressured to get mammograms. Um, and, and this whole thing about, you know, getting forced to get it, um, year after year and scaring us, um, with this cancer thing, one in eight women get cancer. Well, okay. Maybe we wouldn't be if we weren't doing mammograms, you know, especially Mm -hmm. as frequently as we are. Um, so, Again, we need to change this paradigm. Um, and do you want me to go ahead and talk about ultrasound?
0: <laughs> sure. Well, what the last yeah. thing I want to say here is that we just interviewed Dr. Wadia Els. She has a full book on breast cancer. Um, and one of the things, whenever she said she, when she's talking with individuals and there's this perception in our minds as women that mammograms are prevention, mm-hmm. She's like, what's the number one way to prevent breast cancer? All the women shout out mammograms. And she goes, how is that preventing breast cancer? So it really is, as you were saying, there's a lot of wordplay and it's so subtle how these ideas have been ingrained in our brains over the years. And that
1: reminds me, one other thing that I found that was pretty horrific about um Women think it's early you know, early detection, early detection. No, it's not early detection. It's early stage detection. You've already got a tumor in your breast by the time the mammogram finds it. Same thing with ultrasound. Thermography is the only thing that can find it before the tumor forms, okay? And that's so important for women to know be, why. Because the tumor, I've seen any, anywhere between two and 10 years, the cancer has already been in your breast, it's been in there that long and a lot of times it's it's missed a year or two or three years before um on the mammogram because they should be doing you know ultrasound and thermography instead and they probably would have caught it so um yeah just know that it's not really early detection
0: <laughs> right yeah there's some more I'll say to that but I'll wait till we get to the thermography mm-hmm. part but yeah there's we're not really being told that there's anything else we can do and then Or what you mentioned and brought up in the documentary is we have to first get the mammogram before they'll send us to the more effective, safer option of the ultrasound. So let's talk about that a little bit, and then we'll dive into ultrasound thermography.
1: Right. So... Um, and I haven't figured this whole puzzle out, but I will certainly I'm going to do my best to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> um, OK, so somewhere along the line, Medicare, Medicare is the number one you know, insurance company. They're run by the government and then all the private insurance companies follow what Medicare does. That's my understanding. That's what I've been told by several doctors. OK, so Medicare decided, OK, mammography is going to be the primary screening tool. Um, ultrasound, thermogram, and MRI are going to be called adjuncts to the mammogram. So if you want to have any of the adjuncts covered by insurance, you have to have this the primary screening tool of mammography first, or we're not going to cover the adjuncts unless there's a real, unless there's some, you know, they already know there's cancer in the breast or something, you know, weird. There might be exceptions, but not very often. So women are going to their doctors saying, look, I don't want, I don't want to get my breast, it hurts. I don't want the radiation. I just want to go to the ultrasound. You're going to tell me I have dense breasts and you're going to, you're going to send me back to ultrasound anyway. Let's just skip this. And the doctors, they the standard of care is to get the mammogram. So they've got their hands are a little bit tied because legally they have to follow the standard of care. But I have heard and I'm hearing more anecdote, anecdotes about this. That if a doctor is really smart about how to handle the what they call the DSM codes, they can somehow do something to get around getting the mammogram and they can they can um, go ahead and prescribe an ultrasound first. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. they should be doing the ultrasound first and then use the mammogram as the adjunct or a, or a diagnostic mm-hmm. tool. That's what I would recommend. But I'm not God. So.
0: Um, <laughs> Well, it it just makes so much sense, right? Right. We've got a tool here, ultrasound, that is far more effective for a much larger group of people, and it's completely safe and non-toxic. Right, right. Just how did we get here? You know, that's the question that keeps coming up. How did we get here? And I think there's probably a much darker answer to that. It's politics,
1: politics, money. It's the same stuff about everything else in the U.S.
0: (laughs) with medicine. but. So let's talk now about ultrasound and thermography. When you were doing the documentary, did you did you already have these in your mind? Did you already know about them, or was it that some of these more integrative functional doctors were like, "No, this is what we're doing." Hey, take a look at this.
1: Yeah. So um, I didn't know about it until Dr. Ben Johnson, the the late great Dr. Ben, and um, Dr. Um, uh, Galena Magalco, there at Burbank, they were working kind of together um and they were big um they were the ones who explained this thermography and ultrasound side by side no one's oh my god that makes so much sense um and actually in the film you'll i'm actually getting an ultrasound and the thermogram just because we had no other bodies And the next thing I know, I've got something going on in my breast. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Uh That's another story. But um, anyway, so ultrasound, again, by itself, it's it's a test of anatomy, like MRI and mammograms. So it'll pick up a tumor, generally speaking, not always. Um, So you got the test of anatomy. And then if you couple it with thermography, which which is a heat sensing tool, if you have inflammation, inflammation is heat. It gives off and emits heat. And so the thermogram will catch an infl- inflammatory condition in your breast. And I had something going on. So my, so I had two different looking, my breasts look different, you know, color wise, however they read them. And, um, that's how I knew something was going on. And I had to, that's when I changed my lifestyle and I reversed it within a year. So mm. I had got off medications. I lost some weight. I, you know, took better care of myself, non GMO and all that stuff. Um, so it is possible you can reverse it. It's not easy, but you can do it. And I want women to know that, but if you wait until you've already got a tumor, um, those are much harder to reverse because it's already encapsulated and solid tumors. Mm -hmm. I mean, ask any oncologists are really hard to reverse even with chemo and, you know, that's why they have a heck of a time. Um, Mm -hmm. blood cancer is not, you know, a lot easier to reverse, but not, not, you know, not solid tumors. So get a thermogram, you know, you're going to pick up problems before the tumor forms and you're going to be glad that you did.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and this is true early prevention, but I think the tricky thing here is I think particularly in America, we have a very, a perspective on health. That's very much like, unless the house is burning down, we're not going to do anything rather than, okay, I see, I see the kindling starting to spark. Let me pour water on it now before the house is burning down. And I can attest to this personally because early 2020, I was going through all of this, doing an ultrasound that was concerning, thermography that was concerning, the RGC cancer blood test that was very concerning. So I had a lot of red flags and I did have a two millimeter tumor in my right breast. And, but it was one of those things where the doctors were like, my conventional doctor was like, Well, first of all, he was like, you should just have a double mastectomy just to be preventative. I I did test positive for the ATM gene. And so he was like, look, Mm. blah, 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 blah. Anyways, but it was one of those things where, thank God, I found Dr. Keneally in the Center for New Medicine. And we got on a ton of different things, protocols, lifestyle changes to make an impact. And a year later, similar to you, it was a completely different story, but I had a lot of friends and family kind of poo-pooing all the work I was doing because they're like, well, you don't have cancer. Why are you spending all this money? You don't have cancer. And I, you know, for me, it was like, yeah, I'd really like to not have cancer. So I'm going to listen to these early warning signs and do something about what, it.
1: what kind of cancer did they diagnose you with having?
0: So I think for me, they were calling it like stage zero, stage one.
1: Yeah. So it was probably DCIS or lob- lobular. Yeah.
0: So no one ever said DCIS to me, but it's still a little fuzzy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's still a little fuzzy for me. It was a pre-cancer.
1: Um, I mean, two millimeters, that's like teeny weeny weeny weeny.
0: So it it had grown within a year, it had grown to about 10 okay. millimeters. So it was growing rapidly, but, you know, it was just like a lot of conflicting information. You know, it, it's concerning. It's not cancer, but it's very concerning uh, yeah, right. right. You, you don't have cancer yet, but we're really still nervous about it. And so, it, but it was one of those things, right, where you go, you tell your family and friends, okay, I guess it's not cancer. Well, then why are you, why worry? Why do anything about yeah, it?
1: Yeah, they should be sending all those women to get thermograms and ultrasounds, stop reading, then compressing the breast what the heck are you thinking? Get it, you know, but no, you're right. In the U S we do not do preventative medicine of any kind. And, you know, I had these doctors tell me over and over, they want to keep us sick, Megan. And I'm like, I just kept going, no, that can't be possible. And now I've kind of seen the light. I'm like, you know, I I've just seen some horrifying evidence straight out of the literature that points, Mm -hmm. you know, right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They do want to keep us sick. It's awful.
0: Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, I try never to generalize. I know that there's so many doctors who start with a pure intention. When you, you know, when you ask a doctor, what did you actually learn in med school? (laughs) They learned how to treat. They didn't learn how to prevent. And so I think it's almost this sort of indoctrination of a kind that maybe they don't even realize they're getting. Right. So they get out in the world. They're like, great, I'm ready to practice. I'm ready to treat people. Um, And then, you know, we've got the whole insurance system that's keeping them locked in these 10-minute consultations. So, of course, like most things, it is a bigger issue than just, boom, we got to change this one thing. Right. And and it's not...
1: It's. um, I don't think it's the doctors. I didn't mean to infer that it was. No, no, no.
0: And I don't think you were. Yeah, that's okay.
1: It's the system. It's the higher ups. It's the. It's the evil people (laughs) that are getting. You know, have the stocks and the medicines and and whatever and the insurance. You know, whatever's going on there. There's something. There's something I haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet. You know, who are these people? Mm. But I think it's a whole. you know it's a it's the association heads you know i'm not saying american cancer i think they were pretty uh, forthright with me but these other you know the radiology associations the oncology association they're telling people to eat sugar it's okay they overturned three three this is in my next film i'll go ahead and give you the the bottom line they the american uh, society for clinical oncologists they overturned three um university studies And said, this is, is, uh, you know, statistically insignificant. They always use that big word. We're going to throw all these studies should be thrown out. There's nothing to see here, folks. You can eat cancer, no problem. Then you scroll down to the bottom of the page and it says it was funded by Mm Coca-Cola. And so this is (laughs) the Oncology Association is telling these doctors. So the doctors are all telling their patients, like my girlfriend, who is stage four. She said, Megan, no, you're wrong. you can eat sugar. My doctor said you can eat sugar. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Of course she didn't make it.
0: Mm. I'm so sorry. Mm. It's, it's really, really frustrating because we all need to be committed to educating ourselves, but the doctors in particular, because their patients put so much on them. And ideally I'd like to live in a world where the patients are Extremely educated, they're able to have an intellectual conversation with their doctor about their health. But, you know, I say this all the time. Most doctors haven't looked at a research study since they got their certificate. And by the way, the research they were looking at during their program was probably 10 years old to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, we've got these individuals who are practicing. Again, I think most of them with goodwill. But they're not keeping up, right? There are literally thousands of studies coming out every year. So if we are not keeping up with that, we are going to be so far behind on how we are treating and helping people. here, And that's
1: why I'm hoping, I'm hoping my book and I'm hoping this film, I mean, just hand your doctor my film, (laughs) you know. Um, and, and, or the book or recommend it or something, get them to, you know, they need to educate themselves. They're, they're taking the advice of their associations or whatever, whoever's high up above them. And they're not now in these conglomerations of, you know, they're all, all the private practices are disappearing and they're getting sucked up underneath these umbrellas and the whoever whoever's holding the umbrella or <laughs> those those people are telling them wrong stuff. So, um, it's a mess.
0: Right. Yeah. Have you, since filming this, have you had to yourself, um, go to a doctor and say, I'd rather not get the mammogram and had a negative experience with that?
1: Well, I actually had an interesting, um, experience with my doctor. I actually moved on to another doctor, but, um, he's, I said, um, I just wanted to see, I was going to get into a conversation with mammograms. So I was kind of, I was being, I was being a bad girl. I was like, so, so <laughs> I haven't had a mammogram for a while, can I have a mammogram prescription? He goes, well. First, I have to do an exam on you. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why? I've never had a doctor tell me that. And so he said, well, either I have to do it or the gynecologist here has to do it. You're not getting a mammogram prescription until we do a, an exam on you. And I was like, that's weird. I, what, what's up with what that? And what's strange is American Cancer Society no longer, and this is also bizarre, they don't recommend self-exams or exams by clinical exams. And I don't what? know what I don't. I haven't gotten to the bottom of that either. Clinical breast exams are they? And I don't know if that's the insurance companies saying we don't want to pay for this anymore. We need to rush patients through, or they're saying it's because women are getting overdiagnosed. They're finding lumps that are just um, cysts. They're getting biopsied. It's costing a lot of money. It's causing a lot of pain. I- so they're saying it's it's adding into the whole overdiagnosis of like DCIS. This is also adding to overdiagnosis. And so women are like, what? And so it was kind of weird that he was rushing trying to get me in for an exam. I was like, oh, that's going against standard of care. <laughs> yeah. I gave up. I was like, okay, never mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll pass okay yeah so you weren't getting shamed into trying to well, force the mammogram on you shamed into trying to get a
1: clinical breast exam yeah
0: right. I think that's a really tricky thing because and I had this happen myself where I at the time I had I did have a mammogram done but I had let my doctor know oh I also did um, ultrasound and thermography. And my doctor was just like, well, thermography is a waste of time. Yeah. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, that that's because I of just, that
1: 1970s study that everybody quotes.
0: <laughs> right. And then it's just so interesting how, um, you know, he probably never looked at that study. He probably just heard it from yes. someone who said it to Absolutely. someone and it was just this one liner right. that was passed down. It's a sound bite. And, mm-hmm. and then that, that it made it to me, but I just think it can be so incredibly harmful, especially after what you demonstrate so well in the documentary, that there are very real risks to mammograms. Thermography and ultrasound are amazing options that we can request and look for. Um, and so doctors, I think they don't realize the potential harm they're inflicting by just kind of shouting things out like that. I know.
1: Um, also know that thermography has been, there's like 800 studies worldwide. Just We've only had one here in the US. That's the problem is we need to change, get that change. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, hang on. <laughs> um, oh, oh <laughs> ladies, if you do go get a thermogram, there's a lot of thermo- thermologists out there, but you have to find somebody who has a good camera. And this is one way to figure out how, if they have a good camera, ask them how much it costs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if they have the software that goes along with it, they should be spending somewhere between 15 and 25,000 is my understanding. If they say 5,000, I'd get out of there. Um, but make sure they've got good equipment. They have somebody who knows what they're doing as far as running the camera. And then they have somebody, a good interpreter. Um, and I know you guys run thermograms out of your office right yeah, yeah
0: we do thermography we do ultrasound oh great good day. good good
1: okay <laughs> yeah so I can yeah. recommend you guys too then because I only have I only have Dr. Magalco and somebody here on the east coast that I recommend because I don't know I don't yeah. know anybody else who does them side by side so I'll, I'll put you guys in the mix now
0: <laughs> yeah well you'll have to come yeah. you'll definitely need to come yeah. for a little tour of the that'd be great sometime yeah I think. You'd I was going that.
1: to interview um, your doctor, but um, we missed each other at a conference and then I came down with the flu. So it was kind of a mess.
0: Oh no. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So in the, in the documentary, you, you, do mention that, right. Unfortunately, with the way our insurance is set up, usually ultrasound thermography are not covered by insurance, unless maybe you've got a doctor who can kind of finagle it just right. So yeah, it's something that's going to be out of pocket. What would you say to a woman who was like, well, a mammogram's free. Why would I yeah. <laughs> is it really worth it to go do an ultrasound or a thermography?
1: Well, it's definitely worth it. It's just whether the woman can afford it or not. Thermography, right. you're my understanding is you're not they used to cover it with insurance. They don't anymore. Um you can is some some supplemental insurance um companies like AfLAC will cover it. Um, but uh yeah, thermography's tough and, and those can cost I don't know, what do you guys charge? Or usually around three hundred or something? <sighs>
0: Don't quote me on this because it's been a while and I don't make the pricing. But I want to say it's like two fifty. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's about.
0: Don't don't quote mm, me that's on okay. that though. I will I will double check that. And
1: ultrasound, I've heard numbers all over the place. I I think I paid too much the last time I had one, quite frankly. Um, but I think you could get them. What do you? I, I don't know, hundred bucks, two hundred. That, that I
0: honestly don't. Yeah, know. I don't
1: know. Um. So anyway, uh. Unfortunately, yeah, but it's worth it's it's worth it. It's your health. I mean, you know, paying for cancer um, treatments is very expensive. So you can look at it this as an investment in your in your future. So um once a year would be good to get both of those tests. I don't know how often you guys recommend it, but um that's
0: actually, that's what I was just gonna ask you is if during the documentary, they were giving some recommendations for it.
1: Um, I don't think we say how often, but that's you know okay. basically every 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 year I would do at least every mm-hmm. year or something like that. But
0: mm-hmm. yeah, you know,
1: how much depends on how much you can afford. Um, it right. doesn't take much time, but try and do them at the same time or around the same time period, both of the mm-hmm. thermography and the and the ultrasound,
0: because you get that baseline that you can then start to base things off of. But right again, if one of these is coming up concerning. Then now we can jump on it while it's still very reversible. Right,
1: that's the important thing. I
0: think that was a big, big, big point. Right. There. So, Don't
1: put it off because you're afraid you're gonna. They're gonna find breast cancer. That's not a good thing to do. <laughs>
0: it's right. And you know, if if anything, not doing those and just doing the mammograms, you're almost guaranteeing that you're catching it late. If you're just doing a mammogram, because right, the mammogram is only going to catch a mass. I, I can't remember the exact size of a mass, but it has to be a right. mass. It has, to be, in caps, it has to be an
1: encapsulated tumor or, or this mm-hmm. DCIS thing. That's a precancer, which is a bunch of baloney in my view, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, just because they can, they shouldn't be doing mammograms in the first place. So yeah. they need to get that thing under control. And I know they're trying, but the watch and wait, no watch and wait. Yeah. But go get a thermogram. <laughs> you know well right and, and this
0: was this was what i wanted to touch on and we did a little bit is you know there's watch and wait which sort of means let's do nothing and then there's like watch and prevent right. <laughs> yeah kind of or monitor right. with prevention right. and i think that's exactly what you're talking about here is we're using these safe methods to actually have early prevention going on early detection excuse me early detection the thermography is more of that early prevention where we're looking at, are there warning signs? Are there are there alarm bells sounding, letting us know, hey, something's off in the body? Right. I
1: mean, it, watching and waiting in conventional medicine is going to mean having a mammogram every year. Right, so they're going to be inducing more, you know, problems and eventually it might become invasive, which is what they're afraid is going to happen. But I, my, I contend that it might be the mammogram that's making it go invasive. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's just it, no common sense. There's no common sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you guys, there's a whole 90, what, 90 minutes, 95, plus? <laughs> 95 minute documentary That really dives into this so much more. Tons of interviews. I love how many citations you put up in there. I think that's phenomenal. Coming from a public health research assistant background, it's so great to have everything be referenced. So I'm so excited just for the audience to be able to hopefully go use this resource. Now. Thank you.
1: I, I actually did that so that, and I haven't heard anybody screaming from medicine going, this is a bunch of quackery. And you know, I haven't, I said, I'm putting the, I'm going to put citations right in there. And if they want more, yeah. read my books. I'm going to have tons of them. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear no, that. So evidence based <laughs> Here, Here's your evidence, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, Megan, thank you so much. This has thank been you. wonderful. Can I
1: plug my film and my blog
0: site one more time? Oh, okay. please. Yes. And again, they will all be linked in the show notes. Okay. So go directly to the show okay. notes. Okay. Just
1: real quick. Boobsdoc.com, B-O-O-B-S-D-O-C.com. And then my blog, which is going to be really helpful. It's like little excerpts from my book, actually, without the citations. Um, it's blog on boobs b-l-o-g on boobs plural.com
0: okay perfect again guys those will be directly linked in the show notes so it's super easy the documentary on your website you have it's super easy to buy it or rent it you have all the links there i bought it from itunes i think and just watched it on apple tv so couldn't be easier Good, yeah it's like
1: four bucks or (laughs) something to rent it (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, Megan, thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.